I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. In this episode of Behind the Yellow Tape, I consider two cases involving the twists and turns of two side murders, which may leave you wondering who done it. It's the summer of 2021. I spent an idyllic time on retreat from the cares and wares of life in Rugeley, Staffordshire. The sun shone brightly. The birds sang their sweet songs. I floated through meadows and ambled along riverbanks. I had no idea that such idyll of Rugeley had been tainted by murder, mystery and mayhem way back in time. In this first case of the Cunnelside murders, I explore the death of Christina Collins and consider whether an innocent man was convicted of her murder. The year is 1839, and on the 17th of June, 37-year-old Christina Collins was travelling on a canal boat through Staffordshire on her way to meet her husband who had gone to work in London. Christina Collins did not make it to London. Instead, her body was found in the Trent and Mersey Canal between Colton and Rugeley. She had been killed on the barge and thrown overboard. When her body was found, it was weighted down with an iron chain. Further examination by two local surgeons revealed that she had been raped repeatedly. Who murdered Christina Collins and why? In the frame were James Owen, the captain of the crew, William Ellis, a young cabin boy named Isaac Mosson, and George Thomas. All four were present on the canal boat at the time of the incident, and when questioned, they claimed Mrs. Collins had argued with her husband on the boat and that it was he that had attacked her notwithstanding the fact that her husband was in London at the time. And another reasoning was offered. The men claimed that perhaps Mrs Collins had jumped from the boat and drowned herself. Well, if she had done that, she would not, could not, have been found weighted down with an iron chain. Now could she? So James Owen, William Ellis and George Thomas were arrested and initially charged with rape. Isaac Mosson was not charged and he was released. At the time of the crime, he had been asleep in his bunk. At the rape trial of James Owen, William Ellis and George Thomas, they were found not to be guilty and were therefore acquitted. But on the 16th of March, 1840, all these three men were tried and convicted of the murder of Christina Collins. They were all sentenced to death. William Ellis got lucky. He escaped the hangman's noose by an 11th hour reprieve. Then he was shipped to another continent Australia. 
But not so for James Howard and George Thomas. Some 10,000 people came to watch the double hanging. Every vantage point was filled with spectators and it was reported there were a lot of women in the crowd. Hmm. Of course, they were thinking about the victim, Christina Collins, another woman like themselves. As the prison bell began to toll a little before 1pm, James Owen and George Thomas emerged from the main prison gate and walked unaided to the gallows. They climbed the steps without assistance. Then they were hanged at Stafford Prison on Saturday, the 11th of April, 1840. Their bodies left hanging for an hour, which was the normal practice. Then they were taken down and buried within the prison. Now here's the thing. A key witness for the prosecution, a George Orgill, who was a cellmate of the accused James Owen, who was serving an 18-month sentence for bigamy, was found to have been promised a pardon in return for a statement. Hmm. He claimed that James Owen had told him that George Thomas and William Ellis had raped and mauled Christina Collins to death. It turned out that George Orgill lied to the jury for his own benefit. He gave self-serving evidence. And those who knew him found him to be a man of disreputable character whose evidence shouldn't be given any weight at all. George Orgill's evidence was highly questionable. And without his testimony, there was no evidence of murder. Today, nothing has been forthcoming from James Owen's family, but we know that the family of George Thomas believes he was wrongly accused and that he's lost his life over someone else's self-serving lie. Recent investigations in this case have found that George Thomas was wrongfully hanged. But was he? What do you think? Staying with the murders on the canal, this next case tells the story of poor Olive Turner and that of James Joseph Powell. One night in the autumn of 1927, 21-year-old Olive Turner and her boyfriend, Charles Brumhead, were enjoying a night out. Having been to the cinema, they then decided to have a quiet walk down the canal's towpath. They were strolling along beside the canal at Winston Green in the shadows of Birmingham Prison when they were approached by James Joseph Powell. James Powell told them he was a plain-clothes policeman He asked them for proof of their identity, but they had no such proof on them. That being the case, he told the couple that he was taking them into custody 
on suspicion of committing some sort of offence, like trespass. All three headed towards the nearest police station. Charles Brumhead noticed that there were other couples on the towpath. He asked James Parr why they were not being arrested. James Parr replied that he had two and that was enough for him. Then out of nowhere, James Power told a couple that he was open to a bribe. He told them that they could square things with him, meaning he was willing to let them go if they gave him money. Shocked and confused, Charles Bromhead reached into his pocket and brought out all he had and offered James Power fourpence. Four pence is no good to me, James Power replied. This aroused Charles Bromhead's suspicions. He suspected that Power was an imposter and not a policeman. Charles told the man that he was quite prepared to go with him, but Olive would not. He looked at Olive and told her to make a run for it. Olive ran off and Power gave chase. Charles Bromhead followed and soon caught up with Power. Power hit Charles Bromhead in the face, knocking him down and rendering him unconscious for a short time. When Charles regained consciousness, neither Olive nor James Power were nowhere to be found. However, it came to light that further down the path at around 11.30pm, a courting couple spoke to James Powell. He was seen dragging a distressed girl, that being Olive, by the waist. He told the courting couple that he was a policeman and he was taking this girl, Olive, into custody. Five minutes after that, another couple heard sounds of a struggle followed by a splash. Olive would not be seen again until her body was later discovered in the canal the following morning. Her watch, which was still on her body, had stopped at 11.41pm, pinpointing the time she was thrown into the canal. An autopsy revealed that she had died because of drowning. Police immediately appealed for witnesses and several people came forward, including a Doris Emery and her boyfriend, Edgar Willock. They too had been to the cinema and they too were on the towpath at the time of the attack. They had seen the three people together, Charles Bromhead, James Power and Olive Turner. They saw Olive trying to run away from Power. Edgar Willock had tried to intervene, but James Power told him he was a police officer, in which case Edgar Willock interfered no more. John Godfrey had seen a man standing on a bridge watching couples pass, and he had seen this man go up to Charles and Olive. 
James Joseph Power was identified as the man on the canal bank, claiming to be a police officer. He had been a policeman before, but had left the force. Yet he still represented himself as being a serving officer. Taken in for questioning about the night of the murder, James Power's reply was that all the people who identified him were all mistaken. He had not been anywhere near the canal on the date or the night in question. That defence convinced no one, and 36-year-old James Joseph Power was charged and convicted of Olive Turner's murder. He was sentenced to death. As the judge passed sentence, he shouted at the judge that he did not want any sympathy, but announced that he would appeal. The appeal tried two different approaches. In the first place, they tried to discredit the testimony of the witnesses. Bromhead, it was said, was interested in anyone being arrested. He had been the first suspect and the police had questioned him very closely indeed. When he first reported the matter, and his evidence seemed to improve in quality as time went on. In addition, John Godfrey admitted that he had only had a quick sideways glance at the man, and both Doris Emery and Edgar Willock had described the man they had seen as wearing a white daisy in his buttonhole, whilst James Power had been wearing a red rose. It was even suggested that if James Power had carried off Olive, there was no proof that he was responsible for her death. He may have robbed her, but then she might have wandered off in the dark and falling into the canal accidentally. The strength of this last point, however, was reduced somewhat when evidence was given there was no water in Olive's stomach, meaning that she was unconscious when she entered the water. The appeal was dismissed. On the last day of January 1928, James Joseph Powell went to meet his maker as he was hanged at Birmingham's Winston Green Prison, a stone's throw from where the incident occurred. Did Olive Turner die from drowning? Or was James Joseph Power guilty of her murder? You decide. Thanks for listening. Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape. Till then, catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, 
writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. <laughs>